Well, guys, we're going to read the Bible now. Uh, the first reading is from the Old Testament. Uh, it's Hosea 11, um, verses 1 to 11. Uh, and this is written a few hundred years before Jesus. And it talks of Israel's continual rejection of God and God's resulting judgment. When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. They sacrificed to the Baals, and they burned incense to images. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. To them I was like one who lifts a little child to the cheek. And I bent down to feed them. Will they not return to Egypt? And will not Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? A sword will flash in their cities. It will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. Even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Admar? How can I make you like Zeboim? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. I will not come against their cities. They will follow the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children will come trembling from the west. They will come from Egypt trembling like sparrows, from Assyria fluttering like doves. I will settle them in their homes, declares the Lord. The second chapter is from, our uh, second uh, reading is from Matthew. Uh, and so this is um, Jesus speaking about um, Israel in his day and their refusal to repent um, in response to what he's been doing. That's Matthew 11, verse 20 to 30. Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth, sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you will go down to Hades. For if the miracles that had been performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father... For this is what you are pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. 
for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. James. Hi, everyone. Lovely to see you. Um, so let me uh, put the word of the day up, uh, and it's the word judgment. Uh, and I want, I want to ask you what comes to mind when you see that word and when you think about that word. Um, is the word, do you think, primarily positive or primarily negative? Uh, so just have a word to the person next to you. We're going to have a vote in just a moment. Primarily positive, primarily negative. Uh, what are your thoughts? Okay, are you ready to vote? Um, so all those who think the idea of judgment is primarily positive, hands up. Okay, and all those who think it's primarily negative, hands up. Okay, overwhelmingly you voted primarily negative, um, which like I would, I would think that even if you took a poll outside of church, it would be even starker result, wouldn't it? That most people think about judgment as a negative thing. Um, even the, word, the way we use words, like you're so judgmental. Who are you to judge? Um, and what's the most popular Bible verse of our time? Judge not lest you be judged. Uh, and, and, and judgment just has such negative connotations. Um, and so there's no doubt there's a negative vibe about it in our society. And yet, we demand it. Uh, this, is the, this is the thing. Isn't it interesting how we despise judgment on the one hand, but we demand justice fiercely um, on the other hand. And this is not just us, you know, oldies, you know, who've lived a lot of life and have experienced a lot of injustice. Um, here's a picture of Christmas Day. Uh, there's Christmas Day as we imagine it might be. Uh, joy, happy family, giving and receiving of presents, until your child utters these words, that's not fair. He got more than me. Right? Uh, has anyone experienced that moment of, uh, of Christmas injustice? Uh, like Dudley Dursley, I got 36 this year and I got 37 last year and that's just not fair. Um, and, and, and that... It's, it's just such a natural instinct. As soon as we become aware of others around us, we actually start playing that comparison game and justice rises uh, in our hearts. And we don't grow out of that demand for justice, do we? Uh, we continue to live... Like, so here's a sporting crowd. Um, I don't know if you've been to a, in a sporting crowd recently, um, but have you seen how much abuse they heap on the referee. Right? We can't run a game without a referee because it would just be absolute mayhem and people would be dead uh, at the end of games, right? We need a referee to kind of adjudicate and yet we heap massive abuse on the referee. Um, as long as the decision he makes or she makes is in my favour, I'm kind of happy. But as soon as a decision goes against my team, then criticism is absolutely reasonable. 
in fact, abuse uh, is justified at that point because, well, my team is being ripped off. Um, and so our demand for justice is so fierce that now heaps of sporting events have you know, video technology and a, a whole range of technology has developed to bring justice to the sporting field um, so that those cries of injustice can be kind of silenced. Um, but even then, one half of the crowd will still complain uh, about the outcome. Don't you reckon? Yeah? Um, and this is just a game, right? It's just a game. Uh, and yet, demand for justice... And I'm not just talking about people out there. I'm not just talking about those thugs who turn up to f football games and so on. I, I've experienced it in my own life, right? In uh, many years playing basketball, Tim was there. He was on the team with me. He can uh, attest to this. But I, I know, you know, you're playing basketball, the adrenaline's running high, and when a call goes against you, just that feeling of... And, and so that appeal to the ref, come on, ref, you know, and, and that sense of injustice. And, and have you noticed how injustice skews in your favour uh, all the time? Uh, and, and, and anyway, I, I must admit uh, that I'm not immune uh, from that accusation either. So we're complex, aren't we? We hate judgment. It has so many negative associations. And yet we cry out for justice. We hate the idea of being ripped off. Aren't we complex people? Um, now, today we come to the theme of judgment and not merely judging one another, um, which we are very expert at, um, but it's about seeking judgment from God, receiving judgment from God. And what we'll see is that this is a complex theme because it cuts both ways. Um, it is both good news and bad news. The judgment of God is massively reassuring and satisfying to know that evil will be dealt with, but at the same time it is disturbing because it forces us to start looking at ourselves and, and those we love and think, well, what will God's judgment mean for me and for them? Uh, and what I want to say also is that Understanding the judgment of God is essential backdrop for taking hold of the really good news of the message of Jesus. Uh, and so this is, this is one of those sobering topics, but very good for us. Reassuring, disturbing, preparing us for the really good news of Jesus. Uh, we're gonna, we've been looking at this overview of the good news of Jesus, and let me just run through where we've got to up to this point. The first key idea, God, the good ruler and creator, and the statement, God is the ruler of the world, he made the world, he made us to rule his good world, giving thanks and honour to him. But that's not how we see things today. Uh, and so we all reject God as our ruler by running our own lives our own way, by rebelling against God's way, we damage ourselves, each other, and the world. And that's what we saw last week. So what's God going to do? Is God going to just sit back and allow that rebellion to continue? The answer is no. God won't let us rebel against him forever. God's punishment for rebellion is death and judgment. 
Now, what I want to do today is three points, and the first two points are just those two sentences. Uh, So point number one, God won't let us rebel against him forever. Um, And this sentence is a wake-up call to humanity. Uh, We must not live under the delusion that so many people do that we can rebel against God and ignore God and even defy him, we mustn't live under the delusion that we can get away with that rebellion forever. Uh, Yes, there is a delay between our rebellion and God's justice, uh, and that delay has been there ever since the Garden of Eden. Remember in the Garden of Eden, uh, let me remind you what God said. You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat the fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So there's a strong statement from God that you eat from that fruit, you eat from that tree, and you will die. And then the serpent says, no, you won't surely die. He casts doubt on God's word. And what are we meant to believe? Are we meant to believe God or the serpent? Now, as things unfold, as we slip over to Genesis chapter 3, God is decisive. He pronounces curses uh, on, the, on the serpent, on the man and the woman. Uh, life now in God's world is full of frustration. It's full of grief and pain as we live out a life in a world under the judgment of God. Um, And God cuts off their access to the tree of life, so no longer will they live forever. And yet, they don't die straight away, do they? They live on for hundreds of years, uh, Adam and Eve, and then the next generation, and the next generation. And, And not only do they live on, they continue to live life experiencing the mercy and kindness of God. Even at the level of the clothes that they're wearing, remember they're ashamed, they're ashamed and so they cover up you know, their, their privates with fig leaves, which are utterly inadequate. Well, I've tried it. It just, doesn't, it just <laughs> doesn't work. And God gives them more appropriate clothing uh, and he shows them his kindness and protection and so on. Um, sorry. <laughs> Please just, if you have to erase that from your mind, just... just. Um, but, but I want to say this is the gap we're living in now. We're living in the gap between crime and punishment, between rebellion against God and the justice that God will one day bring. Um, and it's an agonising gap. So um, I, I don't know if you were watching the news over recent weeks, uh, but the court case around the alleged rape of Brittany Higgins... Brittany Higgins says Bruce Learman raped her. Bruce Learman says he didn't even have sex with her. And the jury who were called in to kind of decide the outcome, they were unable to come to a consensus. And so now the trial has been delayed for at least another four months or so. And here's the thing, a terrible injustice has taken place but justice has been delayed and we don't, we're not confident we'll ever get justice at the end of the process. 
And you think, you, you, just, you just want to be able to get to the bottom of what actually took place. And if there's been a, a horrendous evil taking place, we want that to be called to account and punished. Um, but our court system struggles to get to the truth. We watch the atrocities in the Ukraine. Vladimir Putin completely believes, it seems, that he is, he is merely bringing unification to Russia. He is righting the wrongs of the past. You know, Ukraine rightly belongs to Mother Russia, and he is just correcting past wrongs. Uh, and 40 other nations around the world agree with Vladimir Putin. Um, Volodymyr Zelensky believes Russia is committing war crimes, that, that they must be called to account, they must be stopped, that the nations of the world must rally. Now, most of the world agrees with him, and yet, how can we bring justice amidst such a volatile conflict, especially when Vladimir Putin has access to nuclear warfare? And you think, wow, if we try to bring justice, then it, we could actually trigger or escalate nuclear warfare. Uh, and, so, and so, can you just see how complex it is? How do you bring justice with the threat of nuclear holocaust? Uh, hanging over your head. Do, are you meant to act, step in, or, or, or hold back? Um, last week, I watched a modern-day Western movie. Um, it's called Hell or High Water. Uh, and there it is. It's about two brothers, uh, and it's one of those... Whenever I talk about a movie or something, don't feel like you have to go out and watch it, because I've got a very eclectic... Um, in interest in what I watch. And it's a very slow burn, right? So if you like Marvel movies, you're just going, oh, when does the action uh, happen? Uh, anyway, but it, it, it goes inside these two brothers and their backstory uh, and the way they are victims. Uh, they are victims of abuse. Uh, they are victims of a bank that has really um, just extorted, basically, their, their mother and it's nearly taken away the family farm. Uh, and so they, they just feel very powerless in the midst of all this corruption uh, and evil around them. And they decide that it's absolutely justifiable to, to start robbing this bank uh, or this chain of banks that have brought so much misery to their family. Um, and, you know, and, and there is a measure of justice, although once you start robbing banks... <laughs> This collateral damage, you know, and, and, it, and it gets messy. Um, but one of the brothers is an idealist. So have a look at this quote. Um, one of the brothers thinks they will get away with it. And he says to his brother, you, you know, you talk like we ain't going to get away with this. He's got a plan and he is absolutely convinced they'll get away with it. And the other brother says, I never met nobody get away with anything ever. You. Uh, and so that's a question. And, he's saying, and, and what he's saying is, my experience of life is that ultimately justice catches up with us. And we think we're going to get away with it, but it, it will catch up with us. And that's kind of the, the relentless progression of the movie, where we see 
that these brothers, that justice does come, but it doesn't just come against you know, the evil corporates and so on. It comes against these two brothers. Uh, it falls on them as well. Uh, and yeah, and what I'm, what I'm trying to do is just explore with you uh, that, 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 that justice as a theme is both reassuring and disturbing. Um, uh, it's reassuring because we, deeply, we live in a world where there's a gap between crime and punishment. And so it's reassuring to think, oh, justice will come. But then it's disturbing because you think, well, where does that leave me when the judgment comes? How will I fare? Uh, and I want, you, I want to tell you that God has been absolutely clear with the human race. So have a look at this quote. Uh, this is Acts chapter 17. When the Apostle Paul started proclaiming the good news of Jesus throughout the Mediterranean world, he went to Athens and he talked about idolatry and the way God had not punished idolatry in the way you might expect. And then Paul said, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance. God delayed judgment. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he has given proof of this to everyone by raising this man from the dead. Now, we're going to focus in on Jesus' resurrection in two weeks' time. But can you see from this passage that the resurrection of Jesus is a warning shot from God? It's, it's, it's a declaration to the world that a day of judgment is coming. A day when God will close that gap, that agonising gap between crime and punishment, between evil and God's justice... The gap will be closed and evil and sin and rebellion will be brought to account. Hallelujah. Evil people will not get away with their evil deeds forever. It is a day when each one of us will stand before God and on that day there will be absolute justice. There will be no kind of hung jury, no ambiguity, no one thinking, was that... Was that the right outcome? There'll be no kind of reason for complaint. There'll be no booing at the referee. Uh, you know, we might shake our, people might shake their fists at God, but they will know his judgment is absolutely just. And there'll be nowhere to hide on that day. Uh, now, I want to ask, how, how do you feel about that day? Uh, that day when we will stand before God. I imagine, like me, you feel mixed emotion. Uh, on the one hand, that reassurance of, going, of thinking evil is going to be dealt with. There's something deeply satisfying and right about that. To actually see so much evil in our world where no one is called to account... Uh, God will call it to account. And that is, I, I think that is very good news. And yet, knowing about that day is disturbing because me and those who I love will receive justice from God 
for my life, for our lives on that day. And my temptation, I suspect this is true for you as well, is to skew justice in my favour, uh, to actually feel injustice more acutely when it's done to me rather than when I do it to others or to God. But God on that day will judge without prejudice, without favouritism. And I've got to ask, am I ready for that day? Um, are you ready for that day? Now, I want to come on to the second sentence about death and judgment. But first, I want to show you a few modern... Well, not, they're not all modern, actually. Uh, I wouldn't call Socrates modern. But anyway, let me read them out for you. Um, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, watching a peaceful death of a human being reminds us of a falling star, one of a million lights in a vast sky that flares up for a brief moment. Walt Whitman, nothing can happen more beautiful than death. Socrates, as, uh, as he committed suicide, death may be the greatest of all human blessings. And Woody Allen, I'm not afraid of death, I just don't want to be there when it happens. Uh, just have a word to the person next to you. What do those quotes have in common as they reflect on death? Have a word to the person next to you. Any thoughts? Any thoughts anyone wants to share with me? What, what kind of reflections on death are, are there in those quotes? Yep. Yeah, okay. So they're, they're very optimistic about death, and John added that they are contrary to the way the Bible thinks about death. Yeah, Alan? None of them contemplate anything afterwards. Okay, okay. So death is the final frontier, and there's no contemplation of what might lie beyond. Yeah, and was that your thought as well? Yeah, death is the end. Yep. Um, yeah, so death, according to these quotes, and according to so many people in our society, death is not to be feared... It's a natural part of life, even a beautiful part of life. That's the kind of message uh, that we are hearing. But the Bible, as John said, is, speaks a message that is profoundly different. God's punishment for rebellion is death, but not only death, but what lies beyond, and that is the judgment of God. So um, the Bible teaches very clearly that, clearly that death is not natural, it is not good. Um, it is, in fact, a consequence of this world being out of step with the God who made us. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's a symptom of a world under the judgment of God already. That's, uh, so Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Uh, one of the consequences of our sin, uh, and it's not a one-to-one -one thing, but death in our world is a consequence of sin and evil in our world. 
And that's why when Jesus came to the tomb of his good friend Lazarus, Jesus wept. Uh, and there was, a, there was an, almost an anger, an indignation that Jesus expressed. Because death is this painful reminder that things are not right and something good has been taken away from us. Uh, the famous poet John Donne was very much in tune with the Bible. Um, so he wrote these words 400 years ago. And this was in the, um, the age of the London plague, one of the plagues uh, afflicting London. Um, and church bells would ring whenever anyone would die. Very much like what we went through with COVID, when you know, you'd have the daily update of people who had died of COVID. Uh, well, in that era, you'd have the church bell toll. And John Donne wrote this reflection, No man is an island. Any man's death diminishes me because I am involved in mankind and therefore never send to know for whom the, death, whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. Uh, and just really quite profound and evocative words. His point was that we ought to notice when someone dies around us and not just think about who was it and think about them, but we ought to notice it and think about our own mortality, uh, reflect on my own standing before God because death is a potent reminder that things are not right uh, and am I ready for that day when the, the bell will toll for me? Uh, and so, in a sense, when I hear the bell toll, it tolls for me as a reminder, a wake-up call, that I need to be ready for that day. Hebrews chapter 9 puts it like this, Just as people are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment. So notice God's punishment is not merely death, as bad as death is, but it is death and then the judgment of God that lies beyond. And as I said earlier, that will be a day when each one of us will stand before God and there'll be no excuses, no basis for complaining about God's decision, no ambiguity, no one will be in any, in, in any doubt uh, and there'll be nowhere to hide. A few years ago, um, I watched a TV series called Breaking Bad. This is another one of those ones that I watched, but I'm not, you know, I'm not necessarily recommending you watch it. And it kind of gets kind of dark uh, as, it, as it rolls out, but it's about an ordinary high school chemistry teacher, uh, a very ordinary guy um, who gets a terminal disease and starts manufacturing drugs to pay for his expensive treatment. Um, and what drew me in to the show is just the downward spiral. It just goes down and down. Uh, the sense of a little bad leading to more bad, leading to more bad. And, I'll, and, 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 and whenever you watch something, you're looking for redemption, aren't you? You're looking for the kind of the happy ending and it just never gives it to you. It's kind of relentless. Uh, and it intrigued me what was going on for the producer of this show? Um, what was his mindset? 
And I, cha- I chased down a quote from Vince Gilligan, um, and I, f- I found his comments really provocative. He said, We all have a deep desire for wrongdoers to be punished. I hate the idea of Idi Amin living in Saudi Arabia for the last 25 years of his life. That galls me to no end. I feel some sort of need for biblical atonement or justice or something. I like to believe there is some comeuppance that karma kicks in at some point. He goes on to say, I want to believe there's a heaven. He's not, he's not sure about these things at all. But he says, I want to believe there's a heaven, but I can't not believe there's a hell. Um, if there is no such thing as cosmic justice, what's the point of being good? That's the one thing that no one has ever explained to me. Uh, and, 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 and that thinking, you know, he's, he's tried to weave into the themes of his show. I want to believe in heaven but I can't not believe there's a hell. Isn't that an intriguing comment? Haunting, as confronting as hell is, what he's saying is it brings a level of comfort that evil will be dealt with, that your Idi Amin's and your Adolf Hitler's and and those who do the wrong thing in life, they will not get away with it, even if they get away with it in in this life. It will be punished eventually. One day our longing for justice will be satisfied. And so what I want to say is the judgment of God is reassuring, satisfying. It it makes life meaningful. It makes our actions meaningful. And yet it is a disturbing theme at the same time. But it's against that sobering reality that the, the brightness, the brilliance of the gospel of Jesus shines forth. Because here's my final point, and my final point is simply this, God judges reluctantly. And I want to say that is really, really good news. And that will spill over into the death and resurrection of Jesus in weeks to come. But I want to take you to a few passages in the Old Testament first. So in Isaiah 28, God is talking about judgment against the nations and even against his own people. But it says this, The Lord will rise up to do his work, his strange work, and perform his task His alien task. Isn't that an interesting way of describing judgment? What it's saying is God will judge. There'll come a time when God's patience is pushed to its limit. And God judges the world. But judgment is his alien task. It's kind of not... It's not his default way of dealing with the world. It's not his heart's desire to judge but it's something he does reluctantly because evil needs to be dealt with now i just want to say it's a beautiful comfort to know that god is not quick to judge that he is reluctant Uh, did you notice in our bible reading from hosea um, god is speaking about bringing judgment against his own people 
and it's you know it's it's a it's a sobering book of the Bible. But then, no sooner does God speak about judgment than He says this: um, How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? My heart is changed within me. All my compassion is aroused. What you have is is a God who pronounces judgment, but in the same breath says, I I don't want to do it. Uh, I want to show compassion. I want to show mercy. This is not a a tantrum throwing God who just gets fiercely angry and lashes out in anger. This is a God who reluctantly judges. Um, And I I hope you notice that um, that is... That is the way Jesus speaks in Matthew 11. So in Matthew 11, Jesus is pronouncing judgment on the towns that have rejected his message. But then he goes on the next breath. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Uh, this is, so this is Jesus who spoke more about hell than anyone else in the Bible. And he speaks about the judgment to come. But the very next thing he says is, come to me. It's, it's, a, it's a plea. Come to me, Jesus says. I am humble. I'm gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. And we know as we continue through Two Ways to Live in the coming weeks, we will see that Jesus' heart of mercy and compassion will take him to the cross. And he will die receiving on his own body the the judgment, the punishment that we deserved so that justice can be satisfied but at the same time God can show us mercy and forgiveness and compassion. Uh, This is the beauty of the gospel of Jesus, that the God who judges justly actually can bring mercy and kindness and forgiveness to us who deserve to be the objects of God's wrath. Uh, And uh, and this is why we have a message of good news uh, that our world so desperately needs to hear. Why don't you just have a quick word to the person next to you? Just any reflections, um, any questions that come to mind? You're not going to get to ask them to the front. This is just a moment for you to pause and reflect, and maybe some of these things can spill over in conversations afterwards. But just have a moment of discussion with the person next to you, and then I'll wrap things up. I want, to encourage, I want to encourage you to continue those conversations later. Um, 
And we, we don't have time for questions, but please come and grab me afterwards if you have any questions or if you'd like to chase anything down further. But just let me wrap it up. We hate judgment. It has so many negative associations. That's the way our world thinks about it. And yet we cry out for justice. And it is a right longing that is so fierce in our hearts. We hate being ripped off. In the resurrection of Jesus, God has sounded a warning for the whole world. A day of judgment is coming. Uh, a day when we will stand before God. Justice will be done. No hiding, no excuses, no favoritism. And knowing that is deeply satisfying and deeply troubling at the same time. But praise God, he judges reluctantly that that is not his heart. Um, he makes a way for us to escape the judgment through the death of his son uh, that we'll be looking into next week. Uh, we can receive mercy and forgiveness. This is the good news that we need to take to heart ourselves. And this is the good news that we need to be so persuaded of that we hold out that invitation to come and find out, to come to Jesus uh, we want to hold that invitation out to our family and friends, especially over these coming months as we lead into Christmas and Good News Week. Let me lead us in prayer. God, our Father, we, we do live in a world where we feel injustice so acutely. Father, we, we see it on the TV night after night. We see evil deeds taking place. And nothing can be done sometimes. No real justice can be found. Uh, and Father, we long for that justice. Uh, but Father, we also, in the midst of that, want to confess to you that we are part of the problem, uh, that we keep on skewing justice in our own favour, we see the faults of others, but we fail to see our own fault uh, and the evil in our own hearts. Uh, Father, we pray that you will help us to come to grips with the sobering reality of your judgment, of not only our death, but standing before you. We pray that we will be ready for that day. And Father, we know that our only hope on that day is your mercy, the fact that you judge reluctantly, the fact that you have sent Jesus as our saviour. And so, Father, even this morning, we cast ourselves on your mercy again. Please forgive us. Uh, please prepare us through the blood of Jesus to stand blameless before you on that day. And, Father, we pray that not only will we take this to heart ourselves, but that you will uh, give us a burden to share this good news with those we love, with those we live uh, amongst. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.